This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yes. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools and in the cup full. Except today, we're switching it up a little bit. My name is not Elon Dabrowski. My name is Brian Com. Elon is going to scout out the season ticket situation in Las Vegas this week. So I am joined by another super hockey brain in Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'd be a lot better if I also owned Eric Carlson and Mikey Purpool, So Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? <laughs> if there were only an Eric Carlson for all of us to share. But no, no, he belongs yeah. to the, the privileged few of us. And yeah. right off the top, Dmitry... You are a host of a fantastic brand new podcast called Hockey PDOcast. Is that correct? It is. Yeah, I do it with uh, myself and Travis Yost, and we do a couple episodes a week. And you can find it all on on iTunes or SoundCloud, or just go on hockeypediocast.com and check it out. And uh, I promise that's my last plug. I'm getting it out of the way here early, so we can move on and actually talk about fantasy hockey. That's very, very kind of you. But I <laughs> might still plug it because it's a fantastic podcast. The early episodes have been great. You guys are off to a good start. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to the Keeping Carlson bump. Yes. Oh yeah. You'll see it. I hope. Everybody listen. The last episode was actually a really clever one. And it's something that I've been bugging some of the most avid hockey watchers I know to do for a while, which is like, if I'm channel surfing on a game night, and I don't know which game to watch, say there's 10 to choose from, and I'm just trying to figure out which one do I want to watch. You guys just did a ranking of all 30 teams in terms of watchability and fun on Game Center Live. Right? Yeah, we did. Um, You know, it's obviously a very subjective thing. And everyone has their own personal tastes. But I feel like we kind of made reasonable arguments for why we we liked certain teams and why we didn't and the two of us are probably pretty qualified to do a project like that because I don't know if I should be like bragging about this or not but we, we watch a lot of hockey so I've definitely you know watched way too many New Jersey Devils games uh, through the years and I know for, for, for a fact that they're definitely the least entertaining team to watch so that that's that's the one ranking where we kind of agreed upon it 100%. Yeah I don't think you'll find too much argument in general and Dimitri I, I want to get started with the show for sure but I just you just mentioned how you know you watch a ton of hockey and I do just want to make sure our listeners know we are bringing on someone who is absolutely 
completely terribly informed about everything hockey, there are a few people that I count on to watch more games than me and to tell me more than what I'm able to see myself. And Dimitri, you're one of the guys I trust to do that. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course, every episode of Keeping Carlson This Season is presented by Dauber Hockey, which has a ton of tools that you can use to improve your fantasy team. Line combos, goalie starts, line production, player ratings, and like constant articles throughout the season. You can find it all at DauberHockey.com. But okay, let's get the show started by talking about the recent spate of injuries in the league. Some big names going down over the last week. The biggest one, and actually the most like unlikely one, is Duncan Keith in Chicago. He has barely missed more than five games in any of the several seasons that he has played in the NHL. So this is kind of like brand new territory. He's out four to six weeks with a right meniscus thingamajig, and Chicago has rarely been without him in their lineup. So it's kind of like, what happens now? Seabrook has been able to step in pretty capably in the first couple games while Keith has been out. He has a goal to assist two power play points and seven shots on goal in those two games played without Keith. Dimitri, are you surprised at all that Seabrook is the guy getting these opportunities instead of, say, Trevor Daly, who was able to step up in Dallas last year? Uh, I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, Brent Seabrook's always been a guy who uh, has a big shot and kind of uh, is relied upon on that power play over there. But Daly's been super Super disappointing. Obviously, uh, he posted really high career numbers last year in Dallas, and you would have thought that coming to Chicago, while obviously Dallas is, is no chopped liver when it comes to offensive production, I feel like there was definitely an opening here in Chicago, and he he hasn't seized it at all. In fact, I'm looking right now, and he's played 15-49 and 14-23 in his past two games without Keith in the lineup, and that strikes me as odd. It feels like the guy that's really benefited the most uh, for those of you that play in uh, average time on ice leagues and whatnot, and is uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, who has been playing in the 20s every since Keith's been out and it kind of appears that Quenville will just trusts him for whatever reason so there might be some value to be squeezed out of that because I feel like Van Riemsdyk is a guy that's probably not owned in very many leagues or pools but uh, yeah Daly obviously you know has the, the track record so I'm, I'm still interested I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye but it, it's from a distance I'm not definitely playing him right now because he's just not playing enough to really produce and Trevor Van Riemsdyk I think it's safe to say that he's up there more for his reliability than his potential to replace Keith's production yeah yeah, but you know, it's one of those things where if he's going to be playing that many minutes, he's going to kind of just stumble into assists and and shots and whatnot. And 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 I, I always like kind of volume guys like that because it just the longer he's on the ice, the more opportunity he has to provide you with stats that can help you out. And while we're on the Chicago blue line and talking about Brent Seabrook, I just want to point out like those seven shots on goal in two games. I was a touch surprised to see he had four shots in one game, three mm-hmm. shots in another. Those were both season highs for him. And I remember him as a guy who only takes like one or two shots a game on average but it seems as of last year he is a little bit above that pace and it is having more like three or four shot games than he did over the early part of his career so that might be something worth watching if your leagues count shots on goal as well he set a career high in in shots on goal last year and i look and he'll probably uh even top that this year if 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 he keeps playing like this he's he's definitely their trigger man from the point on the power play and, and there's value in that yeah it's kind of a strange time in his career to reinvent himself But, you know, if anything is going to keep pushing that forward, it's Duncan Keith being out and giving him, hopefully, a new opportunity to score a few more points. Like, he's usually like a 35, 40-point guy, if you know, at the high end. But now this year, maybe this gives him a bump to, for sure, you know, be a floor 35-point guy if he really takes advantage of these opportunities. Okay, let's move on to St. Louis, where we have a couple guys going out and one guy going in. Let's start with the two guys going out and Paul Stasny 
and Jaden Schwartz, who both had, you know, decent starts to their season so far. One wrinkle I've actually noticed with the Blues, Dimitri, is that both have been said that they're out for, well, Stasny's out for five and Schwartz is out for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. But St. Louis has said that they'll be reevaluated after that period, whereas like most reports from teams usually say expected out four to six weeks or six to eight, and that's it. Uh, we right. have a reevaluation scheduled for St. Louis. Is this just to <laughs> see? Am I just noticing this for St. Louis, or have you seen this elsewhere? I haven't really, uh, but it kind of it kind of makes sense. I always thought that injuries are treated way too matter of fact. Like you know, as as much as the, these doctors know and whatnot, I feel like it's it's pretty ludicrous to be like, oh well, in twelve weeks this guy's gonna be fine. I feel like it's kind of a, a wait and see thing. So it makes sense that after a certain period of time, they kind of check back in but it, it definitely sounds a little ominous that's for sure i only noticed because i checked their injury status back to back and maybe this will be a trend coming up it, it makes sense to me like you said it you can't really exactly predict when a player is coming back why not say reevaluated? in a right. lot of cases when they say a player is going to be reevaluated after a certain amount of time it usually means like well we're going to get to like 60 percent, and then we'll tell you what comes next hopefully that's not the case with these guys that they really do think it's going to be five weeks and 12 weeks respectively but with them gone for you you know, a good chunk of time, each of them. Do you see anybody on the Blues who this opens up an opportunity for? I think a guy like Yori Latera would have been useful anyways, because he was being relied upon fairly decently by the Blues. But I feel like this really kind of pushes the door wide open for him. Uh, he's almost surely going to spend a lot of time with Steen and Tarasenko on the top line. And I feel like we're at the point right now where anyone playing with Tarasenko at all is just going to be uh, in fantasy heaven because that guy is just obscene. So for Latera, it's going to make his life really easy because he just needs to give him the puck and kind of get out of the way. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at their line combos right now and it, it strikes me as bizarre that they're rolling with a Scotty Upshaw, David Backus, Troy Brower second line. Um, I'm not sure how long that's going to last. When Ken Hitchcock finally sees Scotty Upshaw play hockey, he might reconsider <laughs> that. But <laughs> a guy I've always really liked and he kind of showed signs of breaking out last night, uh, Saturday night. He he played like 21 minutes and had six shots on goal and that's Dimitri Askin. He's always struck me as a guy that's kind of this prototypically big power forward who also has a lot of skill and I feel like if he gets that opportunity and that's a huge question mark because Hitchcock Hitchcock's been known to be rather stingy with his minutes especially for young guys but if Yaskin gets that opportunity I feel like he he has the most to gain here because uh, he definitely has the talent and it's just a matter of whether he's going to get the minutes to do so yeah it's only natural I, I think in their most recent game he might have taken over that spot from Scotty Upshaw already alongside yeah. Backus and Brower Backus on his second line like in general just seems strange to me but it is sort of the, the hand they've been dealt they're going need to spread things out a little bit more and Laterra, who I feel like went undrafted in some leagues or dropped early because he didn't have like a, a brilliant start to the season he doesn't really add much in peripheral categories either I actually right. picked him up out of free agency a couple weeks ago and I feel really really great about that choice now that he is playing with Steen and Tarasenko looks to stay there the question with him is last year he started out so strong he had a great first half of the season and then he just really kind of disappeared slowly towards the end of the year. And I'm wondering, do you think that this year he's going to be able to sustain production? Is that the kind of player he is to be a first half performer? Can we make that judgment call already? Or was it just <laughs> like circumstance that second half tailed off? I mean, I, I think it's more so circumstance than anything. I mean, you, you'll keep it in the back of your mind. And if he starts to struggle as the season goes along, maybe you uh, it influences the, your decision, kind of pushes you over the top to maybe trade him and get value from him while you still can. But I feel like uh, that was just one of those things where he's only really 
only been he's been in the league for one season and that's all we have to, to work with you know generally tend to think that uh first half second half splits aren't really actually a thing so i wouldn't i wouldn't worry too much i think it'll be fine yeah we had that conversation at length last year actually with scott cullen on the right. show it was a tough one like there were a surprising amount of guys who did have like slightly significant differences between first and second half but it's impossible right. to tell why with latera we'll have to wait another season and see i'm optimistic for what this season holds and i think in leagues that still have him as a free agent you might want to see who the worst guy on your roster is and get on that if you like me were holding alex semen then you might want to make that swap by now by the way dimitri yeah. alex semen oh god yeah. 12 goals for the Habs in their last two games. He's got nothing but two yep. shots on goal. Is he ever going to find his goal scoring touch again? Elon's going to be mad that I'm even taking airtime to talk about this. But now that I have another voice, I'm going for it. I'll, I'll give you a little a personal story. I play in a, in a in a full dynasty league and I kind of picked him up near the end of last year just thinking that he'd definitely be gone from Carolina and anywhere he went would be better for him. It would just be a fresh start. And I feel like there was definitely some value to be extracted there. And, and I haven't really seen, I haven't liked what I've seen at all. In the preseason, there were he was drawing rave reviews playing with Galchenyuk and Eller and I just you know for whatever reason hasn't really worked out he's already in Michelle Terrian's doghouse he got benched uh during the game against Toronto on Saturday night and I don't know I'm ready to give up you know if you if you drop him and and someone else picks him up and he magically starts playing like the old Alex Semen well that's that's just the way it's gonna go but I, I I think the odds of that are pretty low at this point he hasn't really shown any signs of life so uh, I, I think it's time to cut bait. You know what? And, and I'm ready to agree. Like, uh, mercifully, I'm ready to, to cry uncle on Alex Semin just because we've seen this year that the Habs seem to have tweaked their game to get a little bit more offense out of their top six than they've gone for in the past. You know, they right. relied so heavily on Carey Price to win games. And it looks like this year they are having more success in those 12 goals in their last two games. Of course, not necessarily against the best teams in the league, but they're still doing it, which is a sign of strength. And Galchenyuk has looked better and Eller has looked better and they've both managed to produce points, at least in terms of offense I'm speaking about. But right. Semin just has not been able to join that party. And I'm wondering how much longer does he get? And there's Fleischman and DeHarnay and even like Smith Pelly. And we know Terry has turned to Dale Weiss before to step up into mm. that top six. So I just feel like you said, I, I think I think the clock has run out on Alex Semin, or at least the grace period has run out. And he's a guy that maybe we can let go of for now. And just like, I don't know, I'll keep an eye on him, but I know a lot of other people won't. Uh, this, is, this is one of those things where where um, I definitely like to look at individual shot rates for guys because they can definitely be indicative of an impending decline. And I feel like Simmons has been dropping for a while now. And, and that's definitely a very telling sign because during his prime, he was a guy that, that shot the puck a lot and uh, he was definitely a volume shooter. And, and it just kind of that that part of his game has gone away and he's just not as efficient enough to succeed if he's not putting the puck on it a lot. So um, yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it, it's time to move on. There's another ex-teammate of Simmons on the Canes that is sort of in the same ballpark that I, I think I want to get to later in the show. Let's get back to St. Louis, though, for now, because people want to know who's that one guy coming in. It's Robbie Fabry. Do you mm. think he is someone who can consistently make a top six contribution this year, or is it too soon? Wait, so has Fabry actually been cleared from his concussion? I, I haven't... No, but there is sort of a sense that he might come back in the next mm -hmm. game or at least sometime later this week. He's at least going to make it back into the lineup while Stasny and Schwartz are still out. So there might still be a hole for him to step into. The question is, can he do it? He started off so well. He got a lot of people excited. He was one of those rookies who came out screaming at the start of the season. Of course, he ended up on the shelf with a concussion quickly after. So we haven't seen a lot more. Do you see Fabry fitting in with, say, the Larkins and the Domies and the Duclairs of this early season? 
Oh, that, those are some pretty lofty expectations. I, I think that you know it's it's possible he has the uh, he has the offensive upside, and I like that he's one of those guys that just pretty much at any level he's played at, whether it's uh, whether it's junior or whether it's even you know the, the World Junior Championships, for example. He's he's one of those guys that you watch him on the ice and he just sticks out. He's he's so dynamic, and uh, I guess he fell in the draft because he's a smaller guy, but I, I don't think that that really matters at all in the grand scheme of things. And I think that he definitely has that potential i wouldn't peg him for that because I, I i'm generally wary of of kind of anointing these rookies as 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 the next big thing just because it, it there definitely is like a developmental curve in the nhl and it, it's tough i mean you, you rarely ever see what guys doing like what larkin and, and domi are doing right now so i would temper my expectations a bit in that regard but the door as you mentioned is obviously open there like i feel like uh if yaskin doesn't grab like i feel like that second line wing spot is is the spot that fantasy owners kind of need to be paying attention to right now because scotty upshaw is probably not long for that for that position and uh, whether it's Yaskin or whether it's Fabry or whether it's even a guy like Ty Ratty, I feel like one of those young guys uh, has a lot of opportunity there. It's just going to be a matter of uh, which guy Hitchcock trusts the most, I guess. Yeah, and just to temper expectations too, I I think Fabry scored like one of the first goals of the NHL season. He's one of the first goal scorers this year, if I remember right. But he only was able to play in two games or actually one in a bit. And uh, he had a goal in that game on his only shot. And it also happened to be the game winner. So a great fantasy line so far on average average for Robbie Fabry, but we'll see what happens with a few more games. And Dmitry Yaskin is also someone that we've been watching too and have been a fan of. And he started off well on that second line. He had six shots on goal in the game against the Isles last night, three shots on goal the night before. Last year, we saw like production in spurts and it was when he got the opportunity. He seemed to catch in relatively consistently. And, you know, like we have a lot of people who look to like Michael Roffle or Nick Spalling or Blake Como or, you know, whoever gets or Patrick Maroon, the guys who get to be like the third piece of that line and I feel like of that group I actually like Yaskin quite a bit from what I've seen so far he seems to be able to convert more often with his opportunities Mm -hmm. than those guys have with their several opportunities but maybe that's just a matter of them having had a lot more of them than Yaskin has had so far yeah I'm not sure if you were going to bring this up or not but while we're on the blues it kind of seems like a a logical destination but I I feel like we need to talk about what's going on with that blue line because uh yes the guy that's really sticking out to me is Colton Pareko and and I think that uh, if there's one takeaway that listeners of this podcast need to take away from from this blue segment it's that uh you should probably run to your waiver wire and pick him up if you haven't yet because he looks like a stud grab him absolutely if he if he's still available we we mentioned him on the show a couple weeks ago and in the like patron leagues that we're running he was gone in most of them like the next day but i think he's probably <laughs> still going to be available in a fair amount of leagues two points a golden assist against long island last night with six shots on goal he's consistently getting minutes he's still getting power play time and he is consistently putting pucks on net his peripherals are not quite there yet but that's not really what you're asking for from like your fourth defenseman on your team say you're looking for somebody with upside to be productive maybe you could dangle him as a trade ship later on for somebody who's a huge blues fan but yes we would be remiss without mentioning colton pareko let's move on to florida where alex barkov is out with some sort of wrist injury. There's not a whole lot of info out there right now. He has six points in seven games so far, doing very well on that top line with Yager and Huberdo. They've all looked good. In fact, I feel like one or two of those guys probably weren't taken out of most fantasy drafts, but I feel like now they are mostly owned in several leagues. So the question is, with Barkov out, I feel like it's natural to say that Bjorkstad steps up, and he did step up into the top line with a golden assist last night. But what about, like, the trickle-down effect on the rest of the Panthers roster? Like, can you call it 
any line a second line if it has like Dave Boland or Quentin Howden on it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I feel like, well, I mean, their second line is the one, whichever one has Brandon Peary on it at this point. But uh, and that appears to be uh, Vincent Trocek has gotten uh, the first crack at centering that line. So I guess the trickle down effect would be that if you play in deeper leagues, uh, Trocek could be a guy who could benefit from this injury. Uh, obviously, he had the really, really productive first game of the season and he hasn't necessarily uh, kept that up, unsurprisingly, I guess. But uh, he's a guy that, that has produced a lot on the on his way to the NHL and he has upside so I, I'd keep an eye out there uh, I, I should mention for the listeners that I feel like um, I saw on Twitter this morning that that Barkov broke his hand and he's going to be out for at least a month so uh, this seems like a relatively permanent alignment so uh, if, if Bukestad I guess you know his owners probably aren't aren't going to be willing to trade him now because he's in a pretty cushy spot eh? absolutely and this yeah. is for like any Barkov owner who is really bummed because he was off to such a flying start this year just got Bukestad like I'm yeah. not sure there's going to be a huge difference in terms of the production you can get from that roster spot if you're swapping one out for the other and the one thing that I've always liked about Bukestad is that he's a big shooter and we noticed that Barkov was taking a few more shots on goal than we're used to seeing from him before the injury now with Mm. Bjugstad up on that top line somebody who has a habit of taking the kind of shots that we were excited about seeing from Barkov I think this is a really interesting opportunity for anybody who is looking to easily and quickly replace that production from Barkov somebody is there to essentially step into the same role with similar abilities and I don't think it's going to be like a deep look through your free agent or waiver list assuming that Bjugstad is available yeah I, I agree with that I'm, I'm a big Bugstad fan and I feel like uh, he's going to thrive. It's amazing uh, how good Yager has looked this year and uh, he's sort of just carried whoever he's been playing with and, and uh, Huberto owners have been enjoying that while he's been riding shotgun with him and I feel like um, Bugstad, there, there really isn't going to be much of a drop off. Uh, I still would hold on a Barkov in leagues that I own him in. Uh, hopefully you have an open IR spot or something like that to put him into so you're not just burning a, a roster spot but uh, he should be back soon enough and I feel like when he does come back he's going he's gonna to jump right back into that role. And we should also mention that Trocek has had a decent season so far, but all of that is mostly predicated on that first game where he scored a goal and three assists against Philadelphia (laughs) when Steve Mason got shelled. But he does have two points in his last two games, a goal and assist. That's more than we can say for Brandon Peary, who has not been doing so well. He has just one point in his last five games. But like you said, I mean, he's in an opportunistic spot. He's getting a new centerman, although Trocek might be a bit of a step down from Bugstad. So we'll see how he handles that maybe he'll take that on a bit more going back to that top line just one more question you mentioned like Yager carrying the other guys do you see any of those three as like significantly more of a production generator like somebody who's really putting the other two on their back or someone who's a passenger or do you see their workload as relatively even so far well I think it's relatively even I mean um, Barkov is a phenomenal two-way player and and I feel like him being on that line was kind of uh, helping put Yager and, and Huberto into more optimal um scoring opportunities but it's not like Bukestad is a, is a slouch by any means so I, I don't feel like those those two guys are necessarily going to drop off too much whereas Yager and Huberto are both playing so well right now that I feel like Bukestad is also going to be very productive himself so it's a pretty it's a pretty even line and, and they spread it around and yeah it's just it's fantasy goodness right now I hope I hope you uh you guys invested in them because they've been really fun to watch and they've obviously been rewarding their owners and I imagine also that Barkov when he does get back is going to step right back onto that top line or at least get the opportunity mm-hmm. to so like you you said don't lose him yet and if somebody does get impatient and drops him maybe they their IR is full that's
side is an opportunity for you to pounce on. Like if you're streaming a spot and you're not ready to lose that last guy on your roster, you want a couple more games out of him, I would say forget those last couple games. Drop him, get Barkov on your roster, stash him away, and then re-add somebody else to take on that streaming spot. Okay, let's move on to Detroit. We have Mike Green, who is day-to-day with who knows what it is this time. I have yeah. not seen an update on exactly I can't believe he's injured. Again, no, again, yeah. like, I mean, obviously that wasn't going to change with the new jersey on, but we don't mm-hmm. know what's happening with Mike Green, and frankly, it doesn't come at a good time for anyone who bet on him at their drafts. <laughs> like, I drafted him, and I'm already losing patience, and now he's in a day-to-day spot, burning a hole in my roster. Right. I don't know what to do with the guy. What's up with him so far this year? Like, are he in Detroit not such a good fit after all? Yeah, I, I, I would have probably advised uh, not investing in him during your drafts. Um, he obviously was a massive difference maker during those peak capital seasons, and uh, he's sort of uh, flown under the radar and kind of gotten a free pass over the past few years, I feel like, because he his play hasn't really warranted uh, fantasy attention at all. And, you know, there's an opportunity there in Detroit just because uh, there's no one really with his sort of skill set on that blue line. Uh, obviously, Nicholas Cronwall is a guy that kind of soaks up a lot of minutes there, but he, he doesn't have the, the puck moving ability or, or, or the, you know, the offensive upside of a green, but uh, it just hasn't translated so far. He has won one point on the season and now he's kind of banged up and I'm sure it's not the last time this season that he's going to be day to day. So if, if, if you can get someone who thinks that they're buying low on him in your league, I, I would definitely recommend doing that. Uh, if you did invest in him and you can't really uh, offload him on anyone else, you, I think it's a bit too soon to, to fully cut bait and drop him. You, you need to kind of weigh this out and see what, what happens. It's an upper body injury, which could really be anything. It could be a concussion or, you know, it could just be uh, like a mild shoulder thing. I don't know. It, it could really be anything. So uh, we kind of need some more clarity on the situation before you act on it. But I'm not too optimistic about his chances of, of being a, a fantasy contributor even when he comes back necessarily. Yeah, and that concussion issue is certainly a concern. Hopefully it's not that, but that is what's in the back of my head. And mm-hmm. if it's that, like it could be a while before we see him again. In his last two seasons, he had 38 points a couple seasons back and 45 last season. So it's not even like he's been, you know, shooting lights out, although those were with just 70 games played. Right. He's still like a decent fantasy option, but there was a concern that maybe things won't mesh well in Detroit. Although this year so far, and I think you mentioned it, but I just want to make sure is one point in seven games played with only six shots on goal, which is like even more disappointing than that one point. And like you said, Cronwall is seeing the huge bulk of power play time with Mike Green gone, although he only has three assists in eight games played. And then Brendan Smith, saw Mm -hmm. a little bit last night as well and he has a goal and assist in six games played so far this season he was someone who was highly touted as like an up-and-coming fantasy defenseman who was gonna sort of shoot straight up as a bit of an older rookie when he entered the league and then like a lot of wings defensemen I feel like this is the norm like him and Danny DeKaiser I felt the same not exactly offensive hype surrounded Danny DeKaiser but a similar like this guy's gonna come in and change things for the Red Wings that didn't happen with Brendan Smith do you think this is an opportunity for him to do that it's worth monitoring for sure I, th- I think he has that sort of pedigree he hasn't necessarily shown uh, many signs of it throughout his nhl career yet but uh you mentioned he was a, an older rookie he yeah, he spent a lot of time in college but i feel like he's still uh young enough to the point where i wouldn't fully write him off uh so so monitor it but yeah i i don't know it, that that entire defense core is sort of just a wasteland it's amazing that uh they have so much forward talent and so much fantasy goodness up front and then no one on that defense can really seem to cash in and i guess that's why 
why people were kind of intrigued by the by the Mike Green signing this summer because they figured, well, someone someone's got to kind of cash in there, but it just it's not happening for whatever reason. I, I can't explain it. There was like a wide open gaping hole for him to step into, and I just yep. don't understand like where the shots that should have been coming from him so far and the production that should have been coming from him like it's not that anybody else has stepped up and and put that in from the blue line it's just not coming so that's something to keep an eye on in Detroit as they seem to like still try and figure out exactly where they are have you noticed them looking markedly worse early on this season than they really ever have in the last few years even when they had a bit of a depleted lineup in the past yeah no they've they've looked uh, horrible just defensively speaking of course kind of scrambling all over the place and not really uh, looking like they know what they're doing and and it makes sense because that blue line isn't necessarily the strongest one in the league but i still think for for fantasy purposes there's uh they're gonna be kind of a fun team to own one of their forwards because uh when datsuk comes back they're gonna basically have three lines almost of of uh really strong fantasy contributors and there aren't very many teams that can say that yeah and it's worth pointing out that we had some concerns about thomas tatar recently he had a goal and assist last night at vancouver to give him two points on the night four shots on goal he had no points the night before but still managed five shots on goal and the night before that he did have a goal so that all adds up to three points in his last three games two goals and an assist one of them came on the power play and 10 shots on goal so it looks like he is figuring things out a little bit and also lost in the mix I think a little bit with all the excitement over Larkin and everything else happening on the blue line and with the team Timu Polkanen is quietly starting to make at least a little bit of a dent in terms of the numbers that we were kind of looking for from him this year he has points in his last two games only three shots on goal but still promising to see him playing in a bit of a more important role last night he played alongside Tatar and Larkin which is kind of a really fun line and it worked out well for Tatar as well how do you see Polkanen developing through this year is it too soon to expect 50 points from him yeah so that's a fair question I feel like that's a reasonable ballpark maybe somewhere in the 40s but uh he's gonna shoot a lot I'd be surprised if he if he doesn't wind up in the 200s in shots and uh he's one of those guys where uh, I feel like there's gonna be these sorts of stretches where uh for a handful of games he's gonna look amazing and he's gonna probably have something like 20 shots in four games and and have like three or four goals during that time and and then there might be you know a week span where he doesn't necessarily do anything so I could definitely see fantasy owners being a little frustrated with him but uh the sky's the limit he 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 loves to shoot the puck and and with reason because he probably has one of the hardest shots amongst forwards in the leagues in the league I feel like and uh what he did in the AHL last year is is worth noting because uh whenever you see a young guy put up numbers like he did there uh that definitely bodes well for his future and he shot the puck a lot and, and he scored a ton of goals and uh if he sticks with this with this Larkin Tatar line uh there should be a lot of opportunity there it'll be interesting to see when when Datsu comes back whether they kind of shift things around there and he winds up on a on a maybe on a third line with with you know a Darren Helm type or something like that which obviously wouldn't be as promising for his fantasy success but uh for the time being he's definitely a guy that, that's worth rostering and playing those AHL numbers you talked about uh outstanding he had 34 goals and 27 assists for 61 points in 46 games played last year. So that's just over like half the AHL season. (laughs) And he ended up leading the AHL in goals last year and finished 10th overall in points. Pretty exciting prospect. And of course, with the new sort of 
Detroit regime, so to speak, he might, you know, be getting an opportunity, say, one or two years sooner than he would have otherwise. He's just 23 years old, which is might as well be a baby if he's in Detroit compared to when Nyquist and Tatar got their stuff started. So an exciting opportunity for him right now under Jeff Blaschel, although hopefully Jeff Blaschel can also figure out, like, how to run the Detroit Red Wings as a whole, like, team. Like you said, I I don't know if the blame lies with him or in the blue line personnel at this point, but something needs to get figured out really soon uh, if we want to see very good seasons from any of the Detroit top six. And quickly, let's just go over two more injuries worth noting. Evander Kane in Buffalo, he left the game with a knee injury. Uh, Johan Larson and Matt Molson are probably the guys on the left side in the top six that are there, that are likely to see time there. Larson had already been up with Eichel and Ennis for a little bit, but now mm-hmm. it looks like Molson gets a step onto, well, I don't know if it's, I guess it's line one, if Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane were on it. So yeah. alongside uh, O'Reilly and Sam Reinhart, who we mentioned last week is having, you know, like at least a good start in the sense of reminding us all that he exists in this, right. all this excitement <laughs> and noise coming out of Buffalo. Do yeah. you see Matt Molson still being able to produce and contribute in a top six role? And for that matter, Johan Larson too. If you had to pick one of those guys right now, who would you go for? I, I think Matt Molson is, you know, his skill set is sort of more fantasy friendly. I feel like um, he's still, if he's playing with the right players and, and if he does get to move up to that top line and play with O'Reilly, I feel like uh, that's a good opportunity for him to, to put the puck on that a lot and, and convert some convert some of those opportunities. Larson is uh, is a really nice young player, but I feel like he some of the stuff he does on the, on the defensive side of things aren't necessarily what, what fantasy owners care about. So uh, I think his, his fantasy upside is sort of capped and limited, but uh, Molson is a guy who could definitely benefit from this. Larson almost like not at all like Yaskin, but just in terms of you're looking at like their game logs, looks yeah. somewhat like Yaskin is somebody who went on a couple runs last season in about, you know, 35, 40 games played, put up decent points. But so far this year, he's got nothing in seven games played and not a ton of shots either. While Molson actually seems to be looking better in the little while that I've seen Buffalo play this year. He's already up to four points in eight games with 16 shots on goal. And honestly, if that's something I can get from Matt Molson over the course of a full season with or without Evander Kane in the lineup, yeah. I'm pretty happy with having him as like, if not one of my depth forwards, at least an option to stream onto my team when Buffalo has a heavy week. For sure. And, and he's one of those guys who sort of made a career for himself as being a complimentary piece who kind of finishes the play uh, for the guys on his line. And and this is, this is no different. And finally, in Philly, Michael Neuverth got hit in the head with a stick. I think it was when David Krejci was scoring a goal and he is out now after really starting strong and making the case to be like the first relevant Philadelphia Flyers backup goalie in some time now. Jason LaBarbera seems to be the one who has been called up. Steve Mason, however, doesn't look like he's quite ready to relinquish the net. He's our most recent outjury, just coming back into play. And two of his three starts have been quality starts so far, putting up decent numbers. Of course, the other was a stinker, but so it goes with Steve Mason. What's your range for Steve Mason's save percentage to fall into? And and how many wins do you think we can reasonably expect out of this Flyers team this year? Well, I've been back and forth in the whole Steve Mason thing, obviously. Uh, during the kind of latter days of his Columbus run there, he was, uh, he was the brunt of a lot of jokes and, and and deservedly so, he was probably the worst regular goalie in, in the league at that point. And it's amazing, kind of, you, you wouldn't put uh, uh, Philadelphia and, and goalies uh, together in terms of uh, like rejuvenating someone's career. But somehow, uh, Steve Mason's just been a totally different guy since he's gotten there. And I feel like the sample size has gotten large enough uh, for his time in Philly to kind of start like buy in and, and, and 
believe that he really is uh, one of these guys who can realistically be somewhere around the hover around the 920 save percentage range. And I think the the Flyers had a had a pretty interesting summer. I feel like they're still uh, towards the bottom of that of that division they're in, but uh, they're going to be competitive. And and I feel like if Mason finally puts together one of these seasons in terms of health, where he he can start 60 plus games, I think somewhere in the 30s is is, is pretty reasonable for wins. Probably the low 30s, but but still, and that would be huge because his his peripherals have been really good the past couple of years. It's just that I, I feel like he hasn't necessarily been racking up the wins in bunches, and and he hasn't uh, had one of those years where he was the full workhorse for injuries or for whatever whatever reason. So it'll be interesting to see whether this is the year that he kind of puts it all together. Let's hope so. And like you said, he's got like last year and a bit of the one before that to build on. So hopefully he can keep it going. A goalie who I feel like who's gone in the opposite direction a little bit over the last you know season or two has been Yaroslav Halak. He is back from missing the first few games of the Islanders season due to an injury. He has played two games since he returned with one shutout where he was fantastic stopping. I think it was 37 shots, but he's sort of been a mixed bag overall this year. Like his other start since returning was not so great. And meanwhile, you've got Thomas Grice, who is just doing fantastic. He has a 932 save percentage in four appearances so far, and none of those games has he posted a save percentage lower than 914. And mm-hmm. we talked about earlier in the year, like leading up to the season, is the Islanders goalie situation, one in which, you know, we need to start being concerned if Halak has lost his surefire, sure shot number one status. Where do you see the games played sorting out, you know, with this early start from both of them? You know, I'd say Grice is on the high side and Halak is on the low side. How do you see the workload being divided between them for the rest of the season? Uh, I still think they have enough invested in Halak and, and he's he's been a successful goalie in the NHL long enough where they're going to give him a little bit of a leash. So uh, I don't think he's going to start like the 60 games where he started last year. I think it'll probably be more like 50-30, maybe even maybe even honestly closer to a 50-50 split. Thomas Grice is one of those guys where he's like the perfect backup goalie in the NHL. He's one of those guys where you can play him into whatever 20 to 30 times and and he's going to put up really nice numbers and and you can trust him. And and that's definitely a luxury. I mean, I feel like the Islanders kind of learned that last year during the the Chad Johnson debacle. So um, I I like Thomas Grice a lot and I feel like this is one of those situations and there aren't too many of them in the league where both guys are going to have a lot of value because that Islanders team in front of them is really good and they're going to win a ton of games and yeah just invest in both guys if you can I feel like. Also back from a very long layoff and a very serious layoff is Pascal Dupuis but Mm. his return has been you know, fairly serious too in terms of how quickly things have ramped up for him. He came back, got his feet wet, played like 12 and a half minutes in his first game back. Next game, boom, playing 18 minutes alongside Crosby and Hornquist. And with how the other Penguins have done in that spot, you know, on the left side with Crosby, like we've seen Perron not do so well and Kunitz not do so well. Is Dupuis now a legitimate option to stick in the top six? He's always been the underdog to be able to be the one that stuck there ever since the days where he came over in the trade from Atlanta to Pittsburgh, but he's done it so far. Can he still do it at this point in his career? I don't see any reason why he can't. I mean, obviously the big caveat there is um, how long he's going to be able to do it because uh, the injuries are probably going to creep up back there at some point. He is he's he's getting up there in age for sure, and and I feel like uh, it'd be kind of uh, foolish to expect him to be able to play like 18 minutes a night uh, for the full season. He's eventually going to break down there, but you know it's one of the better stories in the league this year. It's great to see that he's back. Uh, 
obviously that blood clot issue was a pretty scary one and, and there was legitimate doubt whether we'd ever see him play hockey again so um, yeah he's looked good so far and I feel like uh, this is one of those things where the points are going to eventually start to come for Crosby and they're going to come in bunches and and if Dupuis is, is on his left wing while that's while you know that the points start to come there then he's going to he's going to benefit a lot from that so uh, he, I'm sure he's on many many waiver wires right now and I would definitely speculate like make a speculative bid on him just to kind of see whether he can stick with Crosby there. All right, so let me ask you this. You have Kunitz on your roster. Perron mm-hmm. and Dupuis are in free agency. Do you make the change for either of those guys? Yeah, I, I would I would drop Kunitz for Dupuis just because I feel like it's one of those things where I don't think you're going to be missing out with that much on Kunitz even if, if, even if he winds up back on that Crosby line. And I don't think he will as of now. Obviously, I guess if, if, if Dupuis kind of falters and gets injured again, then Kunitz very well could. But I feel like uh, he's not going to be scooped up right back off the waiver wire there. So you're going to have a chance to kind of see how that plays out. So uh, Dupuis is the one currently playing playing with Crosby and I feel like that kind of gives him the edge there just because uh, he's the commodity that we know right now is, is playing on that top line. Uh, as for Perron, I feel like the only reason you would necessarily be picking him up is is purely in the hopes that he gets traded to a team where he can kind of um, break out. But I mean, it's worth being pointed out that I feel like, you know, we could have been saying that while he was with the Oilers and been saying, oh, well, let's just kind of keep him and, and hope that uh, he's going to go to a different situation. He goes to Pittsburgh and he was successful for a while there. But I feel like I saw a stat where he hasn't scored a, a point in, in 20 something regular season games, which is is, is pretty crazy. So I, I feel like there's no reason to own David Perron, even in the deepest of leagues right now. I agree. And one thing to remember with both Perron and Kunitz is like, it's not like they've just suddenly disappeared from score sheets. They have not been on the for like a good quarter season plus the start of this one and I was optimistic about Kunitz coming back but with just one goal and 17 shots in eight games played so far I too uh, I'd be willing to make that that leap on Dupuis I feel like with Dupuis at least you know that there's a decent chance he hits 45 50 points gets half a point per game per season I don't like I feel like Kunitz that's probably about his floor too but I just feel I don't know I feel better about Dupuis maybe just because we've all been so let down by Kunitz so far this year okay moving on from the penguins who seem to get a ton of airtime on this show regardless of if things are going well or poorly or whatever it's just like no right. matter what is happening the penguins seem to be worth talking about in fantasy and of course because we're all expecting so much from the guys on the team one team who is also super fantasy relevant going into the season to a lot of people myself somewhat excluded i'm gonna say it's not an i told you so but it's just like i think there was undue hype around the columbus blue jackets going into this year i think everybody was super pumped they traded for brandon Saad. that's great but their blue line still did didn't look so great and well like they still just had like one line and one year of great production from Nick Felino. now the coach is out John Tortorella is in the lineup and we have Ryan Johansson taking a sudden like forced leave of absence it kind of seems he's traveled back <laughs> to Columbus due to an illness after being benched towards the end of the year I don't know maybe he was playing sick and Tortorella wanted none of it I have no idea but what do you think the fantasy impact is of Tortorella coming into Columbus to coach the Blue Jackets for the rest of the season. Ryan Johansson owners aren't very happy right now. Um, he got sent home from their trip, and I feel like there was like three games left on the trip, and they were saying he got sick, uh, which is 
interesting. Uh, and before that, obviously, yeah, for those that have somehow haven't heard the story, he uh, got benched in the third period of, of Tortorella's debut because uh, he was apparently out of shape. Um, you know, uh, I live here in Vancouver, so I, I got to see the, the, the one year John Tortorella era up close and personal. And uh, he's one of these guys where he sort of has these weird vendettas and against certain guys. And it's pretty inexplicable. I'm sure that I'm sure it makes sense in his mind and it doesn't really make sense to anyone else that's looking looking from the outside in. So, um, if you know, he doesn't like Johansson for whatever reason, uh, he's not going to be afraid to kind of put him in his doghouse. And, and that that's obviously not good for the Blue Jackets or for, for, fa- for his fantasy owners. Um, an interesting thing that I noticed is that uh, Dubinsky kind of moved up to that top line with Saad and Felino. And uh, I found that interesting because uh, Dubinsky was a guy who was frequently in Tortorella's doghouse during his New York days. And he kind of only really finally broke out once he came to Columbus. So it'll be interesting to see whether that continues or whether they kind of butt heads again. But I, I don't know. I, I still think Johansson's going to be fine. And if you, if you can buy a low on him, I, I would I would do so. Um, I think this is one of those things where Tortorella's coming in and he's kind of trying to make a statement that things are going to be different and and that he's that, you know the players need to take him more seriously. And eventually, Johansson's the best player in that team, so he's going to be he's going to be on the top power play unit and on the top line playing with the best players. And he'll be back in that sixty-ish points range and he'll shoot a lot and he'll play decent minutes. And I think he'll be fine. So if you can buy a low on him, uh, I would. Re- definitely do so because uh, as Tortorella showed during his year in Vancouver, he's not afraid to play his top players a lot. Uh, the Sedins were playing like in the 20s in terms of minutes for a long time there, which was pretty crazy. So if he's willing to play them that much, I feel like he's going to play that that Saad, Foligno, uh, Johansson line quite a bit. So buy low if you can. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of Johansson owners out there that are kind of panicking right now. And he can probably be had for like 70 cents on a dollar. So that, that, that's something I would recommend. Yeah, hang on to him, I think yeah. is the, the reasonable decision. I think a lot of people might have drafted him with like 70 70 points or even like dreaming of 80 points for him and i think yeah just like readjust those expectations think of him maybe as like a 65 point guy give or take and keep in mind that like i think in tortorella's best interest he should be played on the top line i see him as sort of the straw that stirs the drink with sod and felino i feel like with dubinsky in there uh it's not quite the same although dubinsky has responded in both games that tortorella has coached he has a goal so mm-hmm. he's scoring in 100 percent of the games <laughs> in which he is coached by john tortorella so keep that in mind okay we're out of injuries were out of outjuries moving on to players who are having situations changed or having great weeks and this week something we never thought we'd say there are three new jersey devils having fantastic weeks probably among the leaders in your fantasy scoring format with what they've been able to do over the last four games or so we talked earlier in the season about how mike camilleri is like a good guy to own somebody has to score for the devils and it might as well be him But suddenly, we have two other guys burst onto the scene. Adam Henrique is showing up again. Lee Stempniak is coming up again. Do you think these guys are going to keep pace with Camilleri through the season? Or is this just sort of like a a short outburst that is going to die down quickly enough? It's a good point that someone on that team kind of needs to score. They're, they're not going to lose every game 1-0 and 2-1. Two, two so uh, there's, there's you know, some value to be had there. And, you know, Henrique is a guy that, that's a really good hockey player. And, and after kind of bursting onto the scene early in his career, it kind of took a, a slight step back over the past couple of years. And, and I think a lot of that just had to do with, with the situation he was in more so than an indictment against himself as a player. 
So yeah, he's right now that line is playing like nearly 20 minutes, if not more a night. And if they keep riding them that hard, there's there's going to be a lot of production there. And it's kind of fascinating that Lee Stepniak is, is suddenly fantasy relevant in 2015, 16. But here we are. Here we are. And his last four games, he has two goals, three assists, eight shots on goal. That's five points in his last four games. Henrique has seven points in his last four games, four goals, three assists, five shots on goal. Of course, four goals on five shots is nothing you want to put a whole lot of money down on, but it is something that, hey, at least things are going right. And he might be starting to reclaim that fantasy value, Dimitri. Like you mentioned, when he came into the league, he sort of did come onto the scene pretty strongly and then faded away once again. But maybe we're seeing his true production potential come back out again. So let me ask you this. If you had to choose between, say, Camilleri, Henrik, and Stempniak, Mm. or... Domi, Duclair, and Hensel for the rest of the season. <laughs> Who would you choose? Oh, I think it's I think it's the Coyotes guys. I think putting aside the fact that they're probably just going to be funner to own because you might actually want to watch a few Coyotes games to see how they're doing. I don't think you're ever going to tune into a Devils game to see how the the vaunted Henry Camilleri Stempniak line is doing. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a sentence anyone's ever going to say. But I think the the Hansel line has a lot more upside. And Hansel is a guy that, that's proven. I, th- I feel like I own him every year in fantasy um, for whatever reason. I guess it's kind of the uh, the coyote stigma over the past few years it's kind of kept people away from him but uh whenever he's in the lineup he's he's pretty productive especially in leagues that reward penalty minutes um he, he's a guy that, that, that misses a lot of time here and there with with random injuries but uh while he's in there his i feel like his per game numbers are, are really valuable and uh declare and domi uh, you know have kind of burst onto the scene and, and and have made the coyotes worth watching with which is a pretty spectacular accomplishment you know they're, they're putting is. up the, they're putting up the points and whatnot and that's great but i feel like that that sentence alone is something that that is like the big takeaway from their first few few weeks in the NHL. It's the fact that um, they're so exciting that, that I'm actually finding myself kind of flipping over to Coyotes games, uh, even when there's other games on, just to see just to see what they're doing. So uh, they've been a lot of fun, and I, I definitely think that while a guy like Duclair has benefited a lot from from the percentages, he's he's I feel like he's shooting like over fifty percent, and and uh, just generally speaking, when when he's on the ice, a lot of the pucks that his teammates are shooting are, are finding their way to the back of the net, and that's probably not going to sustain itself but for the for the time being just kind of ride this wave because it's been a lot of fun yeah he has five goals on 11 shots so yeah. far this season so just a shade under 50 percent. but i'm not going to hold that again no that was a, a very accurate <laughs> accurate guess off the top of your head yeah and it's actually it is super exciting that this is happening in arizona like you're saying this is a city or a state actually with arizona being the name now where antoine vermette has been leading the team like for years on end with like 45 to 50 very boring points every season so yeah. this is a, a nice change in feel. And also, like, if you flip to a Coyotes game, you might also see just a lot of shots flying yeah. around the ice, like either going one way or another. I don't know which way they'll be going, but there will be a lot of chances for at least one of the teams playing, it seems. Yeah. And another guy I'd also kind of recommend looking into is uh, Tobias Reeder. He, he's a guy who, I mean, it's, it's a good point about the shots on shots on goal. He has, he has 25 shots in eight games, which is a really good pace. And last year, he kind of quietly, while while there was very little going on around him, he was having, he was putting together a nice little debut season. And um, every time I watch him, I, I really like what I see. So if he's on your waiver wire and, and 
you know, I honestly think at this point I'd rather kind of invest in a guy like Reader than Chris Kunitz, for example, kind of tying it back together. So Arizona is, is kind of surprisingly a, a good fantasy situation now. I mean, you have Hansel and you have Domi and Duclair, but you also have Reader and, and Bodker and obviously you have Ekman Larson and even a guy like Michael Stone on that blue line kind of has value. So uh, it, it's fascinating how they've quickly gone from being a, just a, a total wasteland to being an interesting team at the very least. Dimitri, I know you have to go really soon. So let's just do a really quick lightning round here with you and me. I'll ask you a question about a player. I'll give you about 30, 45 seconds, then we'll move to the next one. Starting with Radim Verbada, you've spent a lot of time in Vancouver. You mm-hmm. spent a lot of time covering the team and watching the team. You're doing some work for Canucks Army right now, CanucksArmy.com. So Verbada is on the top line right now. Is it going to last, though? I don't see any reason why I wouldn't. I feel like, uh, you know, he had a lot of success with the Sidians last year and and early on this year, they were kind of trying to give Brandon Sutter that role, I guess, to kind of justify that extension they gave him this summer. And he did he did fine enough in that opportunity. But uh, Verbetta kind of has the the skill set to really complement uh, the Sidians because uh, you know he likes to shoot a lot and 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 he's he's good at it. And the Sidians can kind of do their own cycle thing and and get him the puck in, in quality of scoring opportunities. So I mean, Verbetta has a goal on, on 32 shots this year, and if he if he keeps shooting at that rate, uh, he he could very easily wind up back in that 30 plus goal range so uh, invest in Rabada if you still can do you think that's dependent on being on that top line or can he do it on line two I mean, you know, his upside is a lot higher on that top line, but I still feel like even if he's playing on a second line, um, he's going to he's gonna play enough and he's going to shoot enough where he's still going to be somewhere in the 20s in goals. So it's not like he's going to completely fall off the face of the map just because he's not playing with the Sedins. Okay, good stuff. Next one, assume your categories, we're talking goalies here, are wins, save percentage, and goals against average. Mm-hmm. Would you prefer Sergei Pabrowski or Craig Anderson for the rest of the season? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good one. I, I would I would honestly go with Craig Anderson. That can be interpreted as, as me kind of overreacting to the start that Sergei Bobrovsky's had. It is a little bit of that. Obviously, you know, it'd be foolish not to be kind of concerned about what you've seen over there. But I like Craig Anderson. He's one of these guys that are, where he kind of struggles with these with these nagging injuries. So he never really plays too many games. But uh, as long as, you know, let's say like you have a number one workhorse goalie who's going to give you in the ballpark of 65 to 70 games played. And then you can kind of just, you know, your second goalie, as long as he's putting nice peripherals up that's all that matters uh Craig Anderson's a guy I really like he's 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 very consistent with his save percentage while during his time in Ottawa and and that team in front of him is, isn't too bad they score a lot of goals so the wins should come uh, as long as he's in the lineup this is actually a, based on several real life questions we've gotten on the Facebook group and on Twitter recently lots of people trying to figure out which is which and I'm really glad you answered the way you did it pretty much mirrors what I've been saying in my own thoughts but I felt a little crazy for saying Anderson over Bobrovsky but I really don't think it is when you get down to brass tacks with the two of their numbers, especially if Columbus is not, you know, projected to be this like 45 win team that everybody was hoping they would be this year. And finally, let's close off our lightning round by going to Washington. And Evgeny Kuznetsov is just lighting it up, enjoying his time on the top line alongside Alex Ovechkin. It seems inevitable, though, that Backstrom is going to end up back on line one, and that means Kuznetsov is going to move down to line two. Do you think we've seen enough from him, though, to think that he is able to put up, you know, more than, say, 50, 55 points, even if he plays away from Ovechkin for the rest of the year? I think so. I think um, he's talented enough that even if he kind of gets bumped down to that second line eventually and he plays with uh, Marcus Johansson and Justin Williams, I mean, that's not the end of the world. There's there's much worse situations to be in. Um, and he's, he's going to get a lot of power play time. 
time, uh, even if it's not on the first unit necessarily. Um, they're going to spread the wealth around there. And he's so talented that I feel like it's it's it was only a matter of time over the past couple of years. And it's great to see that he's kind of realizing that potential now. So I, I feel like, you know, maybe in the lower end of 60 points, but definitely, definitely somewhere in that ballpark. And, and that's immensely valuable, of course. All right, Dimitri. That was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to co-host the show with me this week. I also want to say, by the way, that you are probably the best voice we have ever had on the podcast. And we appreciate that, as well as all the listeners who have commented on that in the past. Can you tell us where we can hear more of your voice and more of your hockey thoughts over the rest of the season? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, oh, thanks for the kind words, first of all. But uh, yeah, you know, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Dim Filipovich. And yeah, just go on. You can go on HockeyPDOcast.com. Uh, all the work is up there. Or, you know, you can just search it on SoundCloud or, or you subscribe on iTunes. And uh, yeah, there's it's just the start of the season. We've only done, I think, uh, 11 episodes so far of the show. But uh, there's going to be a lot more coming. And, and we, you know, the, the feedback's been really good. And that kind of inspires us to do more and more shows. And we're just going to kind of keep going and see where it takes us. So, yeah. You guys also have a Patreon page, right? Yeah. People can search us on Patreon as well. The Hockey PDO cast, I I think. And um, that's kind of the the scoop. Okay. And I totally recommend that our listeners check out the podcast. If you like it, it's free to give it a five-star review on iTunes. So go ahead and do that. And we will post a link to the podcast and to the Patreon page in our show notes. Dimitri, thanks again for taking the time. And maybe we can do this again next time we're in need. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm here anytime you guys want to talk fantasy. Awesome. And there goes Dimitri, as a sports talk radio host would say. But that does not mean our show is over. In fact, far from it. We still have plenty left to get to, or I should say, I still have plenty left to get to. But while we're in a bit of a pause, let me take this opportunity to thank our patrons, the patrons of Keeping Carlson, who do support the show and make sure that more episodes are coming your way every single week. Elon has the official list of new patrons to thank, but we have had a few over the past week, and we would love if you have not considered signing up to become one. Now would be a really good time to do so. We are oh so close to adding a second live show every single month where you can ask us any question you want live in person, well, not in person, but you'll see our faces on the screen. If you ever wanted to know what we look like, that's another reason to become a patron. But if you just want your fantasy hockey info, that is a very good primary reason to sign up and support the show. So you will get at least one monthly live show a month that you'll get invited to. And if you can't make it during the scheduled time to ask your question, you can always ask it beforehand in the Facebook group. And you'll also get a copy of the recording to listen to after the patron cast has concluded. You will also gain exclusive access to our patrons only Facebook group where Elon and I are checking in regularly all the time. We answer questions there before we answer them anywhere else. And not only are we there answering questions, but you have some of the most knowledgeable, fanatical fantasy hockey poolies from around the world in there asking and answering questions day and night, pretty much all hours of the day. There is some kind of action going on there. It's an amazing place to be. Another perk of supporting the show. Of course, there are other ways to support the show as well. You can give us a five-star review on iTunes, write some nice words for us as well. That would be really, really kind of you. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. 
But all right, let's get on with the rest of the show. And one question Elon left for me before he went away is, where are Carlson's shots? And that's a valid question because this year, so far, he has just 17 shots in eight games played, which is nothing to sneeze at if you're some other defenseman in the NHL. But for Eric Carlson, that is not the mark we've come to expect. In fact, if he keeps up this pace, he'll end up this season with about 174 shots on goal. And that would leave him over 100 shots on goal short of last year's total and pretty much any of his full season totals from the last couple years. Now, where are Carlson shots? The truth is they're kind of lost in sort of this like possession madness or possession irresponsibility might be a better word for it that is happening to Ottawa in the games that they're playing so far this season. They just don't seem to have the puck enough for Eric Carlson to be able to pull the trigger on as many shots as we're used to seeing from him. And of course, now with Mark Mathot out recently this week with a concussion, he's not fantasy relevant but the impact it might have on Eric Carlson makes it fantasy relevant. Last year, he missed a big stretch of the season, and in that time, Chris Phillips filled in. While Chris Phillips was Eric Carlson's defensive partner, Carlson produced at a pace lower than the pace that he produced at with Mathot by his side. And of course, that season still turned out very well for Eric Carlson on the whole, even though he was playing with a far inferior defensive partner for a large chunk of it. But my concern is that this is another concussion for Mathot, which means more time for Eric Carlson to not have the sort of stability and defensive help that Mark Methot provides to Carlson when they're on the ice together. In fact, recently it's been Mark Borowiecki who has been getting the nod as Eric Carlson's defensive partner. And to be honest, that is not much different than having Chris Phillips as your defensive partner. Maybe his legs work a little bit better, but all in all, Borowiecki is not going to help Eric Carlson a whole lot. It just means that a bit more of the load goes onto Eric Carlson's shoulders. And this is at a time when the whole team is sort of struggling to really put it together night in and night out. Now, will the shots come? Yeah, they're going to come regardless. There's a reason Eric Carlson has the status that he has. There's a reason we named our podcast after him. He is going to be just fine, as we like to say about some of our favorite players, but there might be some more growing pains or early season adjustments that need to be made before he can really get on track with his shots. But I think it's too early to say, well, this is a lost season for Carlson because he's going to figure it out and get back to putting up those shot totals. I know that's not much of a stretch, but in case you're wondering, there it is. One other note about Carlson is so far, he has eight points in eight games played. That's a point per game pace. Fantastic. They've all been assists and they've only come in three separate games. So that means he's gone pointless in five games. His points in three games, but in those three games, one was a four point game, one was a three point game, and one he got a single point in to get him on a point per game pace. It's not the most conventional way to get to a point per game pace, but I doubt many of his owners are complaining. Another question Elon might have asked me going into this recording is, where's Ryan Strom? period. Like, where was he last night? He was scratched. And of course, that makes a lot of his owners quite concerned. And I'm here to tell you that everything is going to be okay. Sometimes Jack Capuano acts like Jack Capuano, and you just have to let it happen. Strom is going to be back on that first line. No problem. No time. He's going to be back in the lineup. I feel like he faced maybe a disproportionate amount of the wrath of Capuano after he was upset with some of the Islanders' play as of late. In the game that Strom played before gaining scratch, he wasn't terrible. I mean, he wasn't great, but he did have an assist on the power play. He was a minus two, though, with no shots on goal. And that's not a performance that deserves a scratching the next night, especially for a player like Strom, who still played like more than 20 minutes that game. Maybe this was more of a message to the rest of the team that nobody is safe and that everybody is going to be held accountable. Whatever is going through Coach Capuano's head, I'm not exactly sure. 
but I do know that if you own Strom, this is not a time to panic. He has a goal and four assists for five points through seven games played this season. Only 11 shots on goal. I'd expect a few more from him at this point, but it's still early goings. I don't believe his spot on the first line is in jeopardy. I think he's going to go back into the lineup and do the thing you expected him to do when you drafted him as like, say, a 60-point player. And one of the reasons he's going to be able to do that is thanks to Kyle Ocposo's self-sustenance over on the second line, we had some really big concerns when we found out that he wasn't going to play with Tavares because in the small samples we had seen of Kyle Ocposo without Tavares as a member of the Islanders, it had not gone well for him. So here you are thinking you've drafted like a 70-point player, someone who's going to score night in and night out, and then suddenly he's dropped onto the second line away from the elite scorer that helps get him his points. But like I said, the news has been good so far this year for Kyle Ocposo owners. He's doing just fine. He has seven points. Eight games played, three goals, four assists, 19 shots on goal, two power play points. He's still seeing time with the best power play unit. And it looks as though he might just be able to make it on his own. Not completely on his own. I mean, he is playing with Josh Bailey and Franz Nielsen, but this is a situation where we weren't sure if he was going to be able to keep producing. I hate to say it, I still don't think he's going to be able to play up to that standard as long as he's not next to Tavares. But the good news is that he's still been able to do something with his time and minutes. And if you're still concerned, this could be a sell-high opportunity on Kyle Ocposo if you're not of the belief that he's ever going to find his way onto the top line, but you still might be able to convince somebody in your pool that he's a 70-point player, then maybe you see what you can get as a return for him. All in all, though, any Ocposo owner is definitely taking a sigh of relief, including me. I was beside myself when I initially heard the news, but now I'm feeling a little bit better about his outlook for the rest of the year. And Ocposo might not be going anywhere this year from the second line, but there are a couple players around the league who have moved on to their team's first lines. First and foremost, we have Matthew Nieto over in San Jose. He has moved on to the top line with the Joes alongside Pavelski and Thornton. This year has been, well, it's been okay for him. In eight games played, he has a goal and two assists with 12 shots. The thing is, though, since he moved on to the top line, he has no points and four shots on goal in three games played. But he has impressed the coach during his time there. The other thing going for him is that there aren't like a whole lot of other options to replace him in the top six in San Jose right now. So I imagine that he's going to get time up there for at least the next short while. Of course, the longer that he stays there, the more of a chance he's going to have to prove himself. And as long as Couture is out, I feel like he's going to have a shot at sticking on that top line, especially with Joel Ward and Thomas Hurdle seeming to be settling in on that second line with Patrick Marlowe. Of course, Ward got that hat trick the other night, which was huge news for anyone who had picked him up early on this season. If you haven't picked him up yet, now might be the time if he's still available in your league. But keep in mind, he's still like a depth add option. He has eight points in eight games played so far. That will not continue. He has five goals in eight games played so far. That also will not continue. They've come on 14 shots, giving him a shooting percentage just above 35%. But if you want to add him as somebody who might pick up 45 or 50 points for you in a pretty great situation in San Jose right now, then by all means, go for it. Another player who's moved up to their top line is in Chicago, and it's not a name you'd expect to hear playing alongside Jonathan Taves and Marion Hossa. It's Viktor Tikhonov. He's returned to the NHL this year after spending time in the KHL, which came after he spent some time back with Arizona, but he's come back to a great situation, but I warn you that it's not quite as great as it looks. Even though he is on the first line in Chicago, his minutes have still been in like the 10 to 12 minute range. He doesn't even have a shot on goal. 
at all in his last three outings. And the guy is not known for his offensive acumen. He's more like a reliable, steady hand. And I feel like he might just be there as a placeholder until someone else in Chicago earned that spot. And of course, we're looking at Tara Vinen to do that, or Andrew Shaw, or, you know, the real dark horse playing in the AHL right now is Marco Dano. In any case, I don't expect Tikhanov to last on the top line for too long. If you want to try and stream him and get like a point or two just by association on playing on that line, then sure, you can try it. But I'm not even optimistic looking at how little he's been able to accomplish in six games played so far this year. No points and just six shots on goal to show for it. Another player moving up their team's depth chart is someone we talked about earlier in the season who started the season with four points in four games. His first two games he scored two goals and we said calm down it's okay his top six potential but he's not there yet. It looks like he might be in the top six now. In Dallas, it's Matthias Yanmark, who now has five points in eight games on the season, 14 shots on goal, and he is now playing on the second line with Jason Spezza and Valerie Nichushkin. And I think he actually has a reasonable chance of sticking there. Now, we've talked in the past about how the Dallas Stars have had, like, not exaggerating, well, okay, exaggerating, but 72 different line combinations so far this season. It's been crazy trying to keep track of who's playing with who on any given night, but we said that Matthias Yanmark would gain some fancy relevance beyond, you know, just a short productive spurt at the start of the season if he could crack the top six. As long as he's in that top six, I feel pretty good about him. I mean, he's still only seeing like 14 minutes a game, give or take, but he is consistently getting two or three shots on goal per game over his last few games. His last game, though, he did have a minus four with nothing to show for it, although that was an abominable game for everybody in a Dallas Stars uniform. But I could see him as somebody that you might want to consider as a depth add in your league. If you're looking to bring in a fresh face off the waiver wire, he could be the guy that you want to grab, drop your worst player for him, stream him as long as he stays on that second line and see what happens. I feel like this might be the time where Elon would chime in and say, okay, Brian, would you choose Pascal Dupuis or Matthias Yanmar? And I would go with Pascal Dupuis. I feel like Dupuis is probably able, if he gets the opportunity to do what Yanmar could do in the best case scenario. So I just have a little more faith in Dupuis doing it. There is the health concern, but I would rather have Dupuis on my roster right now than I would Yanmark, but I would have Yanmark watchlisted and be ready to stream him if I had a spot available. While we're talking about the stars, there is one player who is on his team's top line that is just not paying dividends so far this season, and that player is Patrick Sharp. Now, down the stretch last year and into the offseason, Our advice on the show has been, do not worry about Patrick Sharp. He's still taking shots. He's on the third line and he's still taking shots. Even though he's not scoring, this happens. It's a dry spell. No big deal. But now it's kind of like starting to become a big deal. He has 24 shots on goal. Nothing to show for it in the goal column. He has yet to score a goal as a Dallas star. I have him on one of my fantasy teams and I am looking to maybe trade him. I don't know if those goals are going to come back for him. That, like doubt is really creeping further and further into my head. He's only two seasons separated from a 34 goal year. He was consistently a 30 plus goal guy for a couple years before that. Has always been at least a 25 goal guy, but now I feel like I just don't know exactly what we're going to get from Patrick Sharp. He's still shooting the puck at a decent rate, and that's great, but none of the pucks are going in, so I'm starting to watch, well, where are his shots coming from? What situations are his shots coming in? Are they really legitimate?
legitimate scoring chances. And that is something that all Sharp owners should be looking for going forward. We're going to keep tabs on this for now, but also at the moment, he's on the top line with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, which kind of makes him like a no-brainer. Like, how can you let go of somebody playing in that spot on the top line? Like, people pick up Cody Eakin when he plays on that line. So why wouldn't you keep giving Patrick Sharp a shot? I don't think he's going to score only once for every 25 shots he takes this season, but I do think it's worth watching to see just how effective he can be offensively. I'm not saying to panic, but I am saying that red flag last season that popped up that we so quickly snuffed out. I'm saying it's kind of revealing itself again in a more persistent way than I would have expected. So let's just hope that in the meantime, until he figures it out, he can stick on that top line and at least pick up an assist here and there from the magic worked by his line mates. Okay, a couple more guys to close out the show. We are almost done this week, but we should mention Antti Ranta made his debut for the New York Rangers when they played the San Jose Sharks earlier this week, and he looks pretty good. He stopped all 22 shots he faced, and he picked up the win, and he has another start later today, so we'll see how he does, but it's all kind of mood. Let's keep in mind that we don't expect to see him getting any shot at significant time played this year as long as he is behind a healthy Henrik Lundqvist. He's not going to come anywhere close to supplanting him, but I suppose if you're looking to stream a start every now and then, or your league is deep enough that, like, like it doesn't hurt you to have him on your roster. You might be interested in to see how he performs. Again, he's not going to be the number one goalie in New York, but maybe he can at least make a run at being the best NHL goalie named Ante. And so far, he's winning that battle. That's the sort of joke that Elon would groan at if he was on the show this week. And groan is only one letter away from groin. And when you say groin, I think of Mike Fisher. He's on the top line in Nashville right now. He's not injured. So far this season, he has just two points in eight games played, nine shots on goal, but he did get to play with James Neal and Philip Forsberg in the Predators' most recent contest. And well, I don't know, he didn't do much of anything, really, just getting two shots on goal and registering a minus one. And I know that Fisher has value to a lot of people because of his peripherals. You know, he's a solid, like, reliable 45-50 point guy. And last year, he actually had quite quite a good season, was on a 55-point pace had he not missed 20 games due to injury, but I would not expect that kind of pace from him again this year. Even if he does stick on the top line, that might help him a little bit, but A, I'm not sure he will stick on the top line, B, he's likely to miss time to injury, and C, I just don't see him as a player that you really want to be counting on for more than 50 points this year. Of course, his promotion comes at the expense of Mike Ribeiro, who was bumped from the top line. And I honestly, I don't know if he was bumped from the top line to try and bring some production to the rest of the lineup or if it was a punishment or what, because he's had a pretty good season so far this year. Six points in eight games played. One of those has been a goal, just six shots on goal, but that is par for the course for Mike Ribeiro. Now, though, he is playing with Colin Wilson and Craig Smith, so he is going to have to make prettier passes than usual if he wants to keep collecting points, mostly assists as he's used to, on that line. We'll see how long that lasts. Just a heads up, if you are a Ribeiro owner, you're going to want to keep an eye on that. One predator whose stock has definitely risen since the start of the year, though, is James Neal. He started off the season with zero points in three games played, and his owners were like, why did I pick this guy? He had just eight shots on goal at that point. But in his last five games, he has six goals, three assists for nine points in those five games, 24 shots on goal in that span. That's almost five shots per game, which is an outstanding number and one that should interest you. If you're in a shallow league and he's somehow available, if somebody got impatient with him, you should probably make a move on that. There's also a chance that maybe someone who owns him isn't so high on him right now and thinks that they're in a position to like sell high 
high on him because of the last five games played. So maybe that's something you might want to look into as well. But let's be clear, James Neal is not going to score nine points in every five games, but he's also not going to go pointless for three games at a time all that often during the season. He's going to be a steady producer, about 60 points. If you have someone in your league who owns James Neal and thinks that his first few games are more representative of his abilities than the last few games, then yeah, see what you can work out there. And we're hopping around a bit here, but when I was talking about Patrick Sharp, I was reminded of the player that we talked about earlier on the episode that I alluded to when Dimitri and I were talking about Alex Semin as a guy whose shot rates have declined and so is his goal scoring. I mentioned that there was an ex-teammate of his who finds himself in the same situation, and that ex-teammate is Jeff Skinner, who's still in Carolina, but is still not turning it around. And my own concern about him is growing because even when he wasn't producing, I might say, well, have him on your roster, especially if he's a depth guy. Hope that he picks it up and starts scoring goals, but even if he doesn't, he's going to get shots for you. But unfortunately, that last part is not even necessarily true anymore. Through eight games played, he has just 18 shots on goal so far this season, which puts him on a pace that's a far cry from his career high of 274. He saw 235 last season. He's not going to touch that if he keeps up this pace. Now, there are some signs of life in his last game against San Jose. He did put four shots on goal, but before that, he had four consecutive games in which he only had one shot on goal. In my opinion, this moves Jeff Skinner from being like a marginally relevant fantasy guy that could be rostered to a marginally relevant fantasy guy that maybe should not be rostered. If he's not getting you shots on goal, then it's unlikely he's getting you anything. And I don't think you have to sit on him while you're waiting around to see if he can get back to the form that we saw earlier in his career where he scored 63 points in his rookie season. He's been a 30 goal guy twice, but I think most poolies have given up on that happening. And I do think that for Free agency is a safer place for him than it ever has been before. There's not as much risk of somebody else picking him up. If you can get somebody who is definitely going to help your team in one category where you need it, it's that time where I think it might finally be time to put him on your roster at the expense of Jeff Skinner. It's something to watch for the rest of the season for sure. Carolina's gotten their act together, but Skinner has not really been a huge part of it so far. He has just a goal and assist. Neither one came on the power play either. Something worth monitoring for sure. And to close out the show, moving from an ex-teammate of Simmons to a current teammate of Simmons. Of course, that's how we do it on Keeping Carlson. We reference everybody relative to Alex Semin. Andre Markov, we cannot close out the show without recognizing, without tipping our hats to the 5.9 that he had against the Buffalo Sabres back on Friday. He had a goal and four assists in that game, plus four, two points on the power play, three shots on goal. And then he followed that up with another point in Toronto the next night. That was also a power play assist. And this comes at a time where, like, I think Andre Markov's star in fantasy has definitely dwindled with the emergence of P.K. Subban. Markov is no longer the number one guy on that Montreal blue line, but he's still doing pretty well for himself. He had 50 points last season, 43 points the season before. Another reason his star might have fallen is because, like, he had these nagging injuries that seem to knock him out more often than not. But interestingly enough, he's 36 years old now, and over the last three seasons plus this one, he has only missed two games. That's all. One game last year, one game the year before, and it's just really not the way you expected the latter half of his career to go, seeing how injury-plagued it was at one point to see him being this super consistent guy. And if he is available in your league, of course, consider picking him up. He is a power play second fiddle, but he is still picking up points. 50 points last season, he did that fairly quietly, and 25, half of those points came on the power play. He was also leading the league briefly in plus-minus. He was a plus 14 
after that Sabres game, but he was somehow a minus three against Toronto, which dropped him back down to a plus 11. Still a very handy guy to have on your rosters, needless to say. Okay, that will do it for this week's episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'd like to take one more moment to thank Dmitry Filipovich for coming on the show. We will put all his info in the show notes this week. He's a great follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich, and you can get to his podcast by going to the cleverly named HockeyPDOcast.com. And I guess we should probably cue that outro music and I should read the credits. This show was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Roto-Wire, Left Wing Lock, Daily Faceoff, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Elon will be back next week. We're all looking very much forward to that. Thank you all very much for listening to another episode of the show. And until next week... Keep on keeping Carl Sand.